Music. Reviews. Chat. Poems. Comedy. Writing. Interviews. ELFM. It's radio for so much more. And welcome to Vandal Factory. My name's Henry. And my name's Natalie. And, and we, together we are Vandal, Vandal Factory. Factory. And this is our first ever ELFM Vandal Factory radio show. Thank you all for tuning in and listening. Hey, Henry Raby, what's your vibe? So what's my vibe? Uh, Natalie Quatermass, I am a playwright, I'm a poet, I'm a punk poet, mm-hmm. which means I put patches on my jeans. Shake fists at the sky. Oh, I hate you, sky. You're just so annoying. Um, make angry, ranty political poetry in political theatre as part of our theatre company, Vandal Factory. And we have emerged from the COVID restrictions, lockdowns, and we've gone, why don't we add an extra wing to our theatre company and be... Go on. And, and do a radio show. That yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. L- what, lovely. What? But I, I was going to ask, like, some people listening might might recognise your dulcet <laughs> tones. They might go, hang on a minute, that weaselly beardy boy that I've seen sitting around Chapel FM sounds a bit familiar. So just, just to clarify, Henry, are you, what's so, what's your role within Chapel FM? I'm a sort of big deal, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a sort of like, I'm actually sort of, you know, I've got a lot of sway here. That's why, you know, mm-hmm. we've, we've That's why got I got show. you the job <laughs> just to get that in yeah um i am the uh, broadcasting worker here at chapel fm but in this capacity uh, although i am in charge of vlfm in this capacity i am now removing the lanyard of oppression <gasps> da, 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 da. i need to take my headphones off to do so okay they're going up the lanyards oh, going there off there it is, it is. It's been removed. Wonderful. So, Whoa, you look totally different now. Now I'm cool and and yes. and and, and, a, and outside the system, and mm. everything I say is my own personal view. So our funders can't be like, "What? He said he he said he said to smash the system, but, but we quite like but the we system. love capitalism. We are well into capitalism, mate. Um, but enough about Henry Raby for now. Uh, Natalie, what, what's your vibe? What are you oh, on about? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> well, uh, I live in this here Seacroft, just down the road from Chapel FM, and I moved here uh, right at the beginning of the first lockdown, and you couldn't you couldn't stay away from me, could you? So we just <laughs> wangled it so that you would get a, a job down the road. Uh, I'm a theatre maker, and I'm also doing a PhD, a practice-based research degree at York St. John's University in climate justice and Mm. theatre and Mm. arts. Mm. So I've been the theatre director for our for Vandal Factory, where we've made political theatre together, as Henry said, um, as well as working with lots of community groups and young people. And uh, that's my vibe. I also do lots of shaking my fist at the clouds. Yeah, we are. We just look like clowns covering up our sun. Um, so that's how we've got here. But how are we feeling now we're here? We're going to open every show by asking, how's your hope and how's your anger? Or how's your hope or anger? But we'll work it out. We'll work it out. I think think really this came from um, this show is going to be about all the things that me and Henry love to make work about. So our favourite artists, our favourite politics are activists and and two key emotions in <laughs> in this world that we live in is is hope and anger um and my my hope and anger this week henry oh, i don't know how how am i doing am i feeling more hopeful more angry 
I think I'm I'm somewhere in a sorry place in between the two mm. where I think I'm a bit over stimulated. There's an awful lot going on. There's an awful lot of news. There's an awful lot of action taking place. And lots of it is very hopeful. And lots of it is making <laughs> me really angry. And I think sometimes it's a bit much. Mm. And I'm having one of those weeks where I'm a bit like, whoa, I need to step back and just let my brain settle down for a minute. As, you know, how about you? How's your hope? How's your anger? Yeah, well, as you know, I'm I'm someone that really is glued to the news, social media, like what's going on in the sort of zeitgeist and the the waves of narratives at the moment, you know, around um, uh, just online criticism of MPs and the the narrative of of what that means. You you know, if you're criticizing someone online, it's a pro, you know it's a problem. It's it's this wave of like narrative and 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 stuff. It's just stuff every mm. day. And then it's COP twenty six stuff yeah. that's happening next week. And then it's the the budgets come out, which is just stuff. So yeah. it's just trying to like understand. It's all high all stakes, this. isn't it? I mean, yeah. it has been for years, but it it does feel like our, our adult life that the politics just gets the stakes get higher and higher and higher and yeah. higher. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's a that's a bit much. It's a bit much, but I'm, I, you know, I was working yesterday with our climate group here, which are a bunch mm. of lovely teenagers, and and for them they're just like talking about climate, like they're just cracking on yeah. and doing stuff, and like they don't have that like the, the jadedness of like, mm. oh dear, this this is dragging me down. They yeah. just want to talk about it and look at it, and which is why it. it's so vital that we spend as much time as possible hanging out with young people. Yeah, keep, to keep us nice and hopeful. But um, what 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 you been up to recently, Henry? So uh, a couple of so, uh, months and months ago, I went. I just really want to book some tickets to go to see some gigs and love yeah. going to gigs, as many people who know me will attest. And I took a punt on a band called New. Nubian Twist, who I'd sort of heard a little bit on the radio, and they're sort of jazz, funk, world music. Uh, they were f- absolutely fantastic, but the support band absolutely blew me away. Mm. She just, just, I never heard any of her stuff before, and she came on stage in um, just an amazing uh, leopard print um, sort of not a swimsuit what am I thinking of like a cat leotard? suit leotard yeah leotard and she was just so warm and charismatic and friendly and just brought all the audience into her amazing set and it was just her a cello and a little percussion um, uh, was this someone you weren't expecting to see it's just a warm up act I knew so. that there was a support act on but yeah. I hadn't gone for her I'd gone because it was yeah. this this big you know fun band uh, the headlining and people had said oh she's you know she's amazing she's great mm. I had a little bit of a buzz but yeah just so funny and chatty and and I guess as a musician the sounds she was able to create with just her voice and her um her cello just blew me away so yeah um it's uh I should say her name so she is Ayana Witter Johnson she is a UK musician of Jamaican heritage um she's done all sorts of amazing music online but I figured no better than to start with her absolute banging tune and this is Rise Up hear the sound i am the speaker come gather around my ears are burning tell me the news because there's a rumor that something's about to break loose did you hear that did you feel that getting louder can you hear that can you feel that getting louder fires are burning deep in the night while you are sleeping they feed the vibes under the stars they're starting to sing and there's a rumor Stop 
That was Ayanna Witter-Johnson with uh, her absolute banger, Rise Up, featuring, I recognise those dulcet tones of our good friend, Akala. I say a good friend, he's not our friend, but we oh, love him. We love him it? all the best, I think Was so. it? I was concentrating too much on, on being a radio star. Oh, yeah. I didn't <laughs> recognise Akala. I love Akala so much. I think he will probably make an appearance uh, again at some point. Aka- Again, we're talking as if we know him. That's just because we're we're fans. Well, Akala, if you're listening to this show, you know, get in touch. We'd love to have you on. If I, you, you know, you. drop us an email. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't be listening to this show. And um, now, what's coming up now? Henry's going to do his own thing. You put your left leg in, your left leg out. In, out, in, out, you shake it all about. You do the hokey cokey and you turn around. Henry? Henry? Henry, do you want to come? Henry? Henry? What's up with him? Oh, don't worry about him. He's doing his own thing. Wow. (laughs) That was our special jingle for Henry Does His Own Thing. Um, Go on, Henry. Explain to everyone why is this Why is this our first feature called Henry Does His Own Thing? So um, I am an only child and yeah. I have worked as a solo performer. Yeah. Uh, and I like I like my own company. I like yeah. my own. I like to taste my own vibe. And. Um, yeah, so that's it, and it's, it's great. A bit and it's selfish, would you say? No, it's I say just like, own, like don't touch my toys, don't yeah. get, come into my room. But this is my I, space. I had to teach Henry to to offer people a cup of tea when they enter his kitchen. Put it that way. And one day I will learn to do that. So. <laughs> Um, this first feature is uh, where I'm going to read a poem or a piece or something I've created uh, especially for the show. So this first one is a poem I wrote over lockdown and I think it sets up uh, the Henryness very nicely and it's called My Aesthetic and it goes like this. My aesthetic is scrawny midday nerd. My aesthetic is a boy doing a 14-hour shift in games workshop. I've gone for the strained Warhammer intern look. The sidekick to the sidekick. I am over-ambitious with my reading lists. I am the two-chili plant gardener, the Netflix watch next curator. If I was a YouTube channel, I'd have no subscribers. If I was clickbait, I would remain unclicked. If I was a film, I'd be poorly reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes. I would not be certified fresh. At the party, I am the podcast enthusiast in the kitchen. I'm the mask wearer who fears, how do I say thank you with my eyes? I am whispering, don't ask me how I am. My aesthetic is the unwashed punk band hoodie, the clipboard activist soggy with no responses. I am the hunt saboteur lost in the woods. I am Percy Shelley minus the drugs. My hair is a mop top thorn brush crown duck's bum unscissored stodge. I am the doom scroller, which is not as cool as it sounds. I am the midnight Facebook, Twitter, Instagram refresher. I am the, hi, is anyone else feeling like this? Social media deleter. I have the same vibe as characters from 90s US TV shows who get grounded. I'm the innocent until proven guilty schoolboy in detention. My floor is a 3D printout of my student days. If allowed, I turn my camera off in Zoom meetings. I'm the reluctant volunteer, the movement ally level 10. I'm the millennial Steve McQueen. I am alarmless. I guess I'll have a shower. I'll reply to that message later. I'm the untipped waiter, the timeless Ben Gunn waiting for rescue. I'm the one the 
taking advantage of the scheme Telegraph article warned you about. I've metamorphosed since 2020's March. I'm not the same Henry who saw in the new year. I am changed, affected, mutated so much more and so much lesser. My aesthetic is scrawny, midday nerd. There we go. There's my first Wow, piece. amazing. I love oh, it. I love it. I mean, it's it's a wonder why we're mates, really, isn't it, for all this time? I agree with every single statement in that <laughs> in that poem. And, you know, here we are for some reason. Here we are. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Get all, like, down and nostalgic. <laughs> no, here we are doing can't, a radio can't show. Can't go back. Okay, so uh, next up, we have a lovely special feature. We did a interview with a lovely gentleman called Rick Blackman. So uh, Rick has yes. written a book about uh, the, the the history of music and subcultures. It's called Babylon's Burning. It came out um, very recently, like in the last sort of month or two. Mm. And it charts um, historic movements from the 1950s to the 70s to the 2000s, all about uh, music's fight against racism, music's fight against the far right and uh yeah anything else you want to add before we go into this uh this pre-record that we did with rick no Martin? absolutely not i'm really looking forward to hearing it again it was okay. a great chat okay here we go welcome rick thank you so much for joining us please tell us what's what led you to <laughs> starting well what led you to writing this book and what what's your sort of entry point into the anti-fascist movement being a, a committed and active anti-racist for pretty much all my adult life, really. I was a little bit too young to be involved in, in Rock Against Racism uh, in, in the 1970s, but I caught the tail end of it. And, and since then, I've been involved, really, in, in any any sort of instances where the far right here and try to sort of spread their poison. So that that's the sort of political side of it. Uh, I'm a musician, uh, so those two things uh, came together. And, you know, subcultures of this really interested me as well. I came at the back end of, of sort of punk in the late seventies. And then it was, uh, was, it was around the, the, the mod thing uh, in, in the 1980s. So all three aspects of the book, I've got some sort of personal experience in. The, the, this book is a sort of adaptation of my PhD thesis that I did at Liverpool Hope University. And really what I wanted to do was to get a working class perspective on things that academics uh, have written about, lots of academics have written about fascism and anti-fascism, but uh, none of them, to me, ever seem to get a grip on, on really what the anti-fascist movement was about, and in fact sometimes disingenuously portrayed it as being sort of uh, superfluous to, 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 to get rid of fascism. And, and also misunderstanding the whole thing about subcultures and why you know work, young working class men and women get involved in these things. How did you go about filtering gathering these conversations these stories and i'm also curious was it sometimes people wanted to stay anonymous because you know fighting fascism is dangerous business sometimes uh well certainly some i mean from the first period almost almost everyone that was alive at the time is, is, has died now uh, i was able to interview a couple of people uh who subsequently died who were involved in the STARS campaign for interracial friendship in the 1950s, the first organisation. I mean, not so much now when I interviewed them like three or four years ago, but at the time there were constant death threats and arson, arson attempts, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, for those people, that, that wasn't a problem. But for people that are, are active around Antifa at the moment and anti-racist initiatives at the moment, obviously there was a need for some, de some degree of... Um, 
of looking after their, their identities, really, to make sure that, you know, that obviously there's photos in there, but they're all historic photos. Um, and some names, people ask me to change their names as well. I mean, the, the threat is, is, is always there, I think, but it's receded a little bit at the moment. You know, we haven't got the English Defence League marching on the streets anymore, and the BNP aren't polling massively in, in elections. So that's not to say that we should ever be complacent about these things, but, um, but you know, it, it, it's, not as, it's not a real uh, threat at the moment in 2021 as it, as it was, say, 10 years ago. Yeah, we 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 actually had twenty. It was only you say only twenty, but it was twenty BMP members um, protesting outside a, a refugee, well, a hotel where some refugees are staying just down the road here last week, and and I think a lot of people around here were very surprised. Others not so surprised. You know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. I'm, I'm interested in, in, you know, you say you were always into music and, and you were playing. I'm seeing a guitar in the background and guessing you're a guitarist <laughs> and, and your, your life as an activist and um, that, that those two things came hand in hand or did they? Did one come first and, and then the other for yourself, but then more broadly as well for the scenes, you know, does is it is it a bit of chicken and egg? At the time that I grew up in that period, Almost everybody that I knew, white people anyway, were racist. And it was so prevalent at the time. All their brothers and sisters were racist, their parents were racist. You know, everybody, every white person that you came into contact echoed these views because, you know, it was so, it was, it was such, the, the culture was, was such that it was, it was, it was just considered okay for sort of casual and hardcore racism, the television, you know, programs like Death Do Us Part and Love Thy Neighbour. Mind your language. The black and white minstrel show was still on, you know, until 1979. It was it was a, it was a thing in the air, and the, and, the, and the challenge to it, first of all, came from uh, came from music for a lot of people, and then from that, uh, I think you know, people you start investigating stuff, and I really got into soul music, um, and then if you can't listen to like the late 50s R and B or 1960s soul music without coming across the civil rights movement, and then you start reading about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X ranking Roger from the beat in an interview saying that, you know, he met a skinhead who was like, if it weren't for the beat, I'd still be racist. Yeah, well, I, I, I just kind of leading on from that, really. I was also thinking about, well, what if it goes the other way? So if, if someone says, well, my politics are absolutely anti-fascist or anti-racist and, and, and I agree with the, the principles, but the culture I find off-putting or I go I don't want to have to dress like that or sound like that or yeah I wonder if sometimes it works the other way as well whereas someone goes well I don't I don't want to be part of the subculture but I want to be a part of the politics. It, well it definitely did happen as well there were people that weren't that were involved in in rock against racism in the 70s for example who most definitely weren't punks and who weren't uh, involved in reggae at all because they were the two main focuses of it you know there were people uh, who I mean it, Rock Against Racism was initiated by two guys Red Saunders and Roger Huddle uh, amongst other people but you know they they would have been in their sort of uh, early 30s I guess at that time so far far too old to you know to be punk punk rockers um, but there were lots of people around who were into sort of like soul music uh, or, you know who were into other forms of music at the time that didn't fit in with sort of punk reggae subcultural uh, sort of stereotype, if you like, of, of what Rock Against Racism was. But nevertheless, we were committed to com committed to, to, to the court. So I don't think Rock Against Racism, like um, Love Music, Hate Racism now, isn't 
isn't conditional upon being in, in a subculture. Like, you know, if you're into drill or grime music now, that you don't have to be into that in order to be part of LMHR. But it just, that that's historically, when we look back, I think those are the two subcultural groups that we identify with punk in the same way as if you look back at the 50s and identify the subculture that was involved in the violence against black people, that would always be Teddy Boys. Um, if you were to uh, sort of come back and write the next step, 1958 to say 2040, where do you think the movement, where do you think subcultures and resistance is going to go next? If I knew that, I'd go to like I'd put some money in in lab books. Um, <laughs> it's hard to say. I mean, all three of the organisations that I talk about in the book <clears throat> were all the active uh, organisations. Fascism is a cancer, and sometimes it goes into remission, and sometimes it becomes malignant. So the three times it's become malignant in the last 70 years, there's been a musical response to it. There was a carnival in 1978 in Hackney in North London, a Rock Against Racism carnival, where there was 100,000 people turned up. One stage and just reggae and punk bands. In uh, 2008, Love Music Pay Racism had a 30-year anniversary of, of that carnival. But this time it was there was there were two stages, there were two tents, and there was a dance tent as well. So you can see that in that 30 years, the focus musically and subculturally changed from just really to the focus being two things to a wide variety of things. I think that's love music, hate racism, the name reflects that because it's not rocking against racism. You know, people are, are, are using all sorts of music. What we do know is it will always be music, musically based because that's one of the best tools we have to fight back against these people. Amazing. And I think on that note, we should listen to some music and we've, we've asked you to choose a song that we should play. What do you want to introduce it to us and tell us a little bit about why you chose this song? Yeah, no, Babylon Burning the Track by you, Roy, which is a sort of uh, another 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 track that bears the same same name as the book. I mean, the, the, the identification of and the use of the word Babylon by the African diaspora to, to, to call the police or any sort of oppression or fight back that they're, 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 they're engaging against the, against racism. So it seems to be apt. We've got the creator of DJ Music DJ with us music tonight. With us. It's the man who gave you hits like Wear You to the Ball. Wake the town and tell the people. I'm sure he'll tell you about the rest. Brothers and sisters, for the music maker from Kingston, Jamaica, good gracious me, it's you
That was Babylon Burning by Uroy, absolute legendary reggae artist, absolutely legendary reggae track. And it's the same name as the new book by Rick Blackman, Babylon's Burning, Music Subcultures and Anti-Fascism in Britain, 1958 to 2020. So please do check out that book if you enjoyed the chat and if you enjoy anti-fascism, which most people should do. Natalie, you uh, were sort of reflecting on uh, the first time we met, weren't we? When yeah, we... The fa- <laughs> I was going to say fascism always reminds me of you, Henry. <laughs> but no, I, back in, I think it was 2012, um, it was the first time that we met in York. I would, I'd recently moved to York and started working at York Theatre Royal and our, our paths had crossed. And uh, I knew pretty early on was like, oh, I'm off to... <laughs> fight the fascists and and I remember being like nodding and smiling politely because I didn't really know you but the time as a 21 year old to me that was like going oh I'm off to go and dress up like I'm in the second world war and you know you might as well have been saying oh I'm I'm gonna do something from the past. Like mm. I, I hadn't, I had been engaged politically, but the word fascism hadn't been something that I'd particularly kind of processed at mm. that time. And then I was thinking about how, you know, over the last ten years, fascism I think is a word that's sort of used in our common vernacular an awful lot more. Maybe because of social media and the internet, it's often flippantly used as well as. Um, you know, used in appropriate times as well. And then we've also just seen this complete boom of genuine fascism and, and, and anti-racism that's that's boomed from the far right across the world. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just reflecting on it. <laughs> just <laughs> thinking a, about just it. Just good in the past, all times. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting that I... I, I wanted to respond to Rick's interview was, you know, the far right in terms of what we understand as movements of people that are getting bodies onto the street that are organised, that are harassing uh, minority communities. Certainly, yes, we've not seen um, the EDL or um, uh, there was a, uh, they went under like football, yeah, BNP football lads alliance. I can't remember what they were called, but horrible horrible branding but they they've not been mobilizing in such numbers but i think sometimes it is yes because they have had a fight back and they've been pushed back by groups inspired by music subcultures but also because it has just been 
merged, yes, normalized yeah. into um, into mainstream politics. And you get that with Priti Patel saying, we're going to yeah. send send the boats back. And it will never be enough for these people, right? You know, they want yeah. an ethno state. If you look at her Twitter, it's constant people going, this isn't enough. But mm. nevertheless, the policies of uh, enough is enough, uh, ramping up deportations, ramping up the hostile environment and building more walls, both systematic, systematic and literal, yeah. is is increasing. So Absolutely. why why do they and need winning to mobilize? Elections, yeah. More importantly, they're yeah. winning elections. So yeah, it's changing its face, isn't it? But that's that's all I think. It's changing what it looks like. Something we um were talking about earlier is the normalizing of yeah. um what is considered radical, this idea that actually maybe refugees are human beings, actually maybe you shouldn't start mass deportations of people is normalizing in just the conversations you have with people on a on a day-to-day basis for example uh this is such a minor thing but i just was reflecting on it when someone came to the chapel to donate some uh some stuff and i said oh great we've got a refugee group that uses this space um i'll just you know we'll just give it to those guys when they come in once a month and it felt so important to just not like make that into like a big deal that we you know we're saving refugees um and also not a thing of like not to go oh there's a group that we'll give it to to make it clear and it's just normal it's there and it's important because uh, we did have um the far right as we said in the interview it's patriotic alternative mobilizing locally yeah. and and you know their normality is we don't want this so we need to it sounds radical mm-hmm. but to to fight that yeah absolutely talking out loud well we need a bit of upbeat positivity now um so it's time for another special feature on the show it's time for nat's banger of the hour because every single song you own is a banger it's time for nat's banger of the hour bangers is it a banger Amazing. For anyone listening at home, I haven't heard these jingles before. <laughs> Henry has made these especially and, and refused to play them before we went live. Um, so thank you, Henry. They're lovely. This is my banger of the hour. And I am going to play Hope by Commoners Choir. Is that the one I chose? It sure is. Oh, good. The Commoners Choir, for anyone listening, are a Leeds-based choir that I'm a member of. Hooray. And uh, there are an awesome group of people who sing passionately about uh, politics and activisms, activisms, <laughs> all those activisms. Um, and this is one of my favorite songs to sing with them. It's called Hope. I feel upset. Act upon hope. I don't be paralyzed, and I don't think any of us hope be paralyzed either. Act upon hope. We'll be galvanized now. Though dark clouds are gathering, there's no need to despair. A history of victories is happening everywhere. Hidden in the bluster, planted in the past, the seeds of our utopias are growing in the cracks. We need a litany. A rosary, a shout, a chant, a melody for our hope. Act upon hope. Search out the openings, build castles in the air. Fill them up with the good stuff, do the things you wouldn't dare. Test our possibilities, keep an eye out for the gaps. When things are so uncertain, you can find 
Find some room to act. We need a litany, a rosary, a shout, a chant, a melody for our hope. Act upon hope. Hope. Act upon hope. Hope is a house left standing after the hurricane. Hope is a crop we harvest after the pouring rain. That was Hope by Commoners Choir. It never fails to cheer Nat up. She was singing along in the studio. It was yeah. gorgeous and lovely. Um, what an absolutely inspiring tune by Commoners Choir. Um, so this next interview we've got for you lovely people is with Rashin McBrin, who is the um, uh, co-artistic director of Clean Break Theatre Company. So uh, they have a couple of shows online, which you can check out. One is Sweatbox, which Rashin talks about in the show, in the, in the interview, um, which is a digital piece. But the show that I went to go and see a couple of weeks ago was called Typical Girls, and it was about a... Uh, women in a, in a female prison who were uh, forming a band inspired by the music of the 1970s punk band The Slits, which, as uh, Rasheen says in the interview, sort of just was covers everything that represent Clean Break. Um, I just want to give a sort of review that it was fiery and powerful and there was just so much in it that made me want to get up and, and dance and take part in it. But I think there was a really interesting message at the end where the sort of liberal person had come into the prison to be like yeah we're gonna do this and we're gonna make some music and actually sort of disconnected from the women at times and didn't didn't really understand what was necessary and I think that was just quite an important like aspect of it that it wasn't this sudden fairy tale ending where suddenly they all uh, create this amazing band and their whole lives become perfect and everything works out in the end that actually um, it is a long, difficult, chewy road, admittedly one with some absolutely banging music along the way. So without further ado, um, this is uh, our chat that we had with uh, Rasheen from Clean Break Theatre Company. Clean Break, if you were to describe the company to someone that has never heard of the company before, how would you pitch Clean Break as an organisation and the work you do? Clean Break is a theatre company and at the heart of the company are our members, women who have been to prison or who are at risk of involvement in the criminal justice system. And we use theatre to work with those women to help them transform their lives and to talk to audiences in the collaboration with artists from, with experience of the criminal justice and without and um, in order to help us change lives and minds um, in and outside of prison. So could you tell us about 
Sweatbox as a show, but then this evolution, taking it from uh, this live setting, this really visceral, uh, powerful place into the world of this new digital era and keeping the same energy and, and, and ideas behind it. So Sweatbox, as you said, dates back to 2015 when we commissioned the brilliant Chloe Moss to write a play specifically about the journey from the courtroom to the to prison. And the idea was always to have it set in a prison van. So that's the Sweatbox. And the play went down brilliantly. It's the story of three women on that journey who have very different takes on it. And the audience used to experience it by entering the prison van and standing along and actually seeing it all taking place. And, and we toured it all over the place. In the before um, times. In the before times, yeah. And speaking of the before times, we've had a tiny reflection at Clean Break around after the before times were the time times and now we might be in the after bit and <laughs> yeah. during the time times there's such a narrative around how awful it was you know and we um particularly when we consider the impact of the pandemic on a lot of our members that's an indisputable fact um however artistically there have been some positive things for us in clean break and some of them had to do with forcing us into the deep end quicker with our digital ambitions and Sweatbox is a really good example of that. Mm. We were to tour this show in the original incarnation of it in the in the Sweatbox. And then when this, when everything, the time times hit, we had to, or we made a decision mm. and with funding from our academic partners to make it into a film. Personally, Anna, Anna Herman directed it. I think it's a beautiful film and I think it is a brilliant translation of the play, but also a really important story that uh, we know the film is reaching more people than the play had been um, and obviously it's a totally different medium and it's really healthy for us to share those lives but also for our members the three women who are in mm. it Jade, uh, Posey and Funke for them to have experience in front of the camera is also something that we really value. Can you tell us how Clean Break's latest show Typical Girls came together? Well, when Morgan Lord Malcolm, who's the writer of the show, originally was commissioned, it was definitely part of the intention to get her to write something with music. And then it lay to her to sort of find the vehicle for it. She and I were back and forth with different ideas. And then one day she said to me, what about the slits? And I was like, the all-female punk band from the 70s who were completely amazing and oppressed. <laughs> on all levels and our feminist icons for Clean Break, the feminist theatre company that tries to bring down the patriarchy through theatre. Oh, wow. Yes. Brilliant, 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 brilliant <laughs> idea. And um, so, and then because she's really amazing, she took those songs and made them so intrinsically important in terms of the narratives, because the concept is really simple. It's this woman comes into prison in order to make a band. But of course, those stories, the stories within that music, so, so, so relevant to so many of the lives of the women that we work with, whether mm. that's around oppression, whether that's around stories of addiction, there's specifically a song called Shoplifting, so that does resonate as well. Mm. It's kind of the perfect marriage, if I'm honest with you. We had planned to produce it before the pandemic, but it feels like it was made for now in so many ways. It has a very strong political heart 
there's so much joy in the offer as well that we've got like, oh my God, the timing of this is really, really good. People need nights out where they're engaging with communities that they don't get a chance to engage with honestly and have a dance. Many a time I've gone to see a piece of theatre and it's been billed as this term gig theatre and I'm always sort of excited to see this live music and, you know, they're always amazing, great pieces of theatre, but I sometimes wonder about the the, the term gig in and theatre and, and I'll be honest, I've seen some shows and I've gone, well, it's just a band on stage, it's not a gig, it's just you're using yeah. live music. I guess I wanted to ask about the, the gigness of the event and also what advice would you give a, a, a director that hadn't, used live music before uh it's a great provocation that because in kind of marketing the show and def defining it as opposed to putting a gig theater we went with part gig part play hmm. and i i think that was something i was more comfortable with because that i hope is the experience you're sat in the theater auditorium as you might be at another play at the crucible so we haven't actively lent into the formation of a gig but I'm hoping that people feel like they get the experience that live music gives. It's a hybrid, is the mm -hmm. truth. In terms of your second question in regarding advice, such an important part for me, music is an extension of words, words an extension of music, where it's, it's a hard one really for me to say, to give advice there in that I feel like they're both so essential and have so many have so much similarity, but mm. also um, are so unique at the same time. And I think mm. the biggest thing is in terms of directing actors. In our case, we have a group that weren't necessarily amazing musicians. Some were, mm -hmm. but some had never picked up an instrument before the beginning of rehearsal. Journey of growing that confidence was a big part of the journey. That's been my biggest learning, you know, about sharing that and empowering those women has been a great one. Criticism that has been levelled against me and the work I make is that I preach the converted and I go into very safe spaces and, and say things are bad and one nods their head and claps and, 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 and we sort of move on. I wondered how much do you balance between the true experiences and your characters and the story of the criminal justice system and how much do you consider how much you challenge and push and throw provocations to the audience? I mean, it's a great question because it's such a hard thing to control, you know, um, and we know, for example, we are getting different in inverted commas audiences to this show than we might normally because of the music content of it. So you have to then ask, well, who, who are those people and who are they to clean break and who are they to the crucible? I think slight difference with clean break is that we have such such massive connections with the women's sector and with criminal justice charities that we at least have the ability to signpost audiences to different areas where this work is being treated more overtly in terms of political change, mm -hmm. which we take really, really seriously. Um, and the other part of it is to try and contextualize what you experience as an audience member with the intellectual and the philosophical questions around that. In terms of form, this show is, I don't think didactic. It has, you know, at the heart of the work I believe in is about soliciting empathy through offering a multifaceted version of the truth and hopefully eliciting 
I suppose, more kindness from a society that A, doesn't know enough about what we're doing to women in prison and how little support they get after prison, in my opinion, and B, could do with doing better with both of those things. There uh, a, a song that you would like us to play on East Leeds FM? I mean, it's got to be Typical Girls. <laughs> That was the absolutely legendary Typical Girls by The Slits. Now, there are some people that would cry sacrilege that I'm fading that out a little bit early, but that is because we're coming up to the end of the show. We've got one last feature for you folks, and it is, of course, Nat's Provocation Station. The chat train is pulling into Nat's Provocation Station. <laughs> I love these jingles Henry they're brilliant oh thank you so much yeah this is my my provocation station I get to close the show with um just whatever I've been thinking about really I think I mentioned at the top that I'm doing a PhD at the Institute of Social Justice so I'm often thinking some big old thoughts about art and activism and politics and I'm going to try and articulate a few of them for you now I think this will um 
maybe sum up a few of the the moral dilemmas I think that we've been touching upon in the world of art and activists and the likes of us. Um, so yeah, this is this is where I've been at this week. When it comes to the climate justice movement, do you ever get the feeling that we're in a film? Like The Truman Show, apart from I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be the unsuspecting Jim Carrey character or one of those actors. With the COP26 smouldering on the horizon like Mount Doom, we know what this story entails. The protesters will polish off their wittiest placards and most satirical costumes. They will chant and wail and pray that this time the message will get through. The suits will shake hands and dutifully receive their 40 lashings from Greta for their sins. They will clap, perhaps shed a tear, and then make promises that they have no intention of keeping. Do I sound cynical? Yeah, it happens a bit more often these days. I must be getting older. And it suits me to be a bit more optimistic. So when I catch myself getting lost in this epic, doom-filled, completely overwhelming movie, I ground myself and get some dirt under my fingernails. Literally. For the last 12 months, I've been lucky enough to be a part of Climate Action Seacroft, a newly formed resident group that have come together to connect around environmental and climate-based issues and action that we can take in our local area. The priorities of the group are to focus on creating a community allotment, growing our own food and forest garden, connecting with schools and young people and each other. It's about relationship building and appreciation for nature and community togetherness. Will climate action sea crops stop the seas from rising? No. It will, however, transform some people's lives. And unlike many of the environmental activist groups I've been a part of in my adult life, there's not a dreadlock or a mohawk or even much of a sniff of alternative culture just the everyday embodied repetitions and practices of care that make modest and purposeful contributions to progressive and social environmental goals. When I feel overwhelmed by the magnitude of the climate crisis, I return to this quiet form of activism, putting my megaphone and poster paint under the stairs and embracing small practical changes that can develop into long-lasting structural change. At the beginning of his book, Environmental Justice, The Key Issues, Brendan Coulsat writes, If histories are stories, they must be continuously told, added to and retold. Dear reader, I hope you are and may become part of the telling. So in The Truman Show, even the extras do influence the main narrative. I think it's okay, necessary even, to step back and reflect upon your own role within the climate crisis blockbuster. Oh, very good. Little provocation there from Natalie Quatermass. Clap, 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 what do you clap, think, Hennes? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. It's about, we were talking before about that normalisation, like defeating the normal narrative of, of racism that, you know, refugees, people from around the world that welcome here with our narrative, with a much more hopeful one. And the same with the climate crisis is this, we need to have this narrative that it's normal to care and it's normal mm -hmm. to want to take action but i guess it's that yeah. entry level isn't it um there's been 
so much in the news about Insulate Britain and their tactics and people going, oh, it hurts the cause. Mm. Um, and, you know, those discussions can go back and forth. But, you know, I've gone to activist spaces where I felt left out and I get all the in-jokes and references. Um, yeah, I think I think the, the subcultures, it's like I said to Rick in his interview, I, I feel mm. like they can often work in the negative mm. that and it, it makes sense it makes sense that people need tribes and to to come together and to have a sense of togetherness so you form a subculture so you look a certain way or mm. you act a certain way you listen to a similar kind of music um but i'm i'm also just experiencing in, in my practice right now in seacroft in the place where i live that that cultural baggage can often be a negative thing mm. and turn a lot of people off and a lot of people who still have the intention to be like care about the environment or care about mm. their local community and want everyone to be to have enough food to eat and want people to be able to heat their own homes. I mean, these are the issues that are affecting our local community and then environmental issues. Um, so yeah, let, we're, we're starting with, with a community allotment, but that, that can be a quietly radical act, I think. Yeah. I mean, I love, you know, to say radical ideas. And I do think we need radical ideas, but I guess it's like taking them from this ether of like, you know, the air of going up, like we'd never be able to change the culture of, of, of how we use energy, for example. But, you know, the culture change that we, we don't burn as much coal. I think it's about 40% of Britain's energy comes from renewables now, which is probably something that was totally unheard of. Um, mm. We had Alex Sobel on the Red Kite show on Friday, and he said when he came to Parliament in 2017 as an MP for the first time, there was still climate den deniers that said, you know, climate change isn't a thing. The 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 government were in a coalition oh, yeah. with the DUP who were just like we don't believe that it's a thing <laughs> yeah. now now I mean you could argue it's dangerous because they they sort of brush it under the carpet but and greenwashing and greenwashing but in a way at least it's this conversation topic that Johnson and Biden put on the table and go this is what we're doing mm -hmm. it's not enough we know we know this dear listeners you probably know this it's not enough and we hope that radical things need to come out of COP but at least it's putting that on the table and putting those conversations in people's minds so they go along to that community garden and it helps not just climate but well-being it, it helps community action it helps bring people together absolutely and it's i'm interested in that mixture where the top down mm. climate change needs to happen at the top and come down there's no doubt about that there's there's billionaires and mm. policymakers at the top that that have the power in this case um as well as that grassroots community based change and then kind of institutional stuff in the middle that can happen at council level mm. i'll tell you more about that in another <laughs> another show i think and and you know going back to uh clean break going back to rick's book you know subcultures as much as we've you know have acknowledged that sometimes they can be a little bit cliquey at the end of the day subcultures music art create that normality that it's part of mm -hmm. our dna the fact that you know if you're listening to soul music the whole, the yeah. history if, like that you yeah know, like i said it's it's becoming a part of the story and yeah. and weaving a, a history that we we have in this culture i mean imagine imagine henry raby without punk patches what would that even look like it would look like a loser but i'm not a loser <laughs> i'm a legend and you're a legend and listeners vandals out there oh, you are legends thank you so much for listening
listening, everyone. Um, so we've come to the end of our first show. Please come check us back again third Tuesday of every month on East Leeds FM. It's been a delight to be here. I'm so glad the broadcasting worker programmed this show. He must be a legend as well. <laughs> and also, just a quick reminder <laughs> that you can follow us on all the usual social media platforms at Vandal Factory Theatre. I love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. This is uh, another anti-fascist tune. It is The Men They Couldn't Hang with the Ghosts of Cable Street. Hope you enjoy. England 1936, the grip of a Sabbath day. In London town, the only sound is a whisper in an alleyway. Men put on their gloves and boots Have a smoke before they go From the west there is a warning of A wind about to blow
Thank you. All right.